idea of, uh, um, of being in a new place, right, a new beginning. 2010's ended, 2011 has begun, and with that comes all these unknowns. And we talked last week of saying it's important that we, in this season, if we're going to be following God, that we know him. We need to know him. And so last week, we specifically looked at knowing God as a caring father by the way he fights for us. First week, we talked about knowing God as a caring father by the way he relates to us. And we said he relates to us with compassion. He relates to us with faithfulness. He is all-powerful, and he relates to us that way of being all-powerful. And he's, he's very sensitive to, to our weaknesses and our shortcomings, right? We said we need to do you know him that way, as a God who relates to us in this way. We said the second thing we need to know about God is knowing God's a father, caring father, by the way he fights for us. We named four things last week. We said knowing him as a God as initiator, or excuse me, as a father as initiator. We said that, hey, he, we love because he first loved us. That in the midst, when we were in sin and sinful, he came and died for us, right? So he is initiating. That's the, the story of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that when we were separated from him, he made a way to be connected to us. He is an initiator. So he initiates movement in our lives. He initiates a breakthrough for freedom in our lives. So number two, Father, he's a father who speaks. We read from, we read from Isaiah 42 where it says, hey, listen, I want to speak to you. I want to share things in advance of them happening so that you'll be in the know. Basically, he's a father who fights for us by speaking to us, by keeping us in the know. He's not distant, not removed, and that he is, is speaking, not wanting to speak. He is speaking. And we said that the, the testimony of the Israelites in Isaiah 42 was that he was speaking, but they weren't listening very well. Right? We said that they were deaf and they were blind, couldn't even see what God was doing. But in his faithfulness to us, he was already speaking. We said the third thing, he's a father who is impartial. That he doesn't have favorites, but he wants to move. He wants to move in all of our lives. He's, he's not, he's, he is impartial. He's not partial. He is impartial. He, he doesn't play favorites. We said the fourth thing, he's a father who is zealous. He is a father who is zealous. Remember it says, he says, like a, he says I will, as, a, as a mighty warrior, I will stir up my zeal. As a mighty warrior fighting for us, I will stir up my zeal. And we said that zeal is just this, this passion that basically gets worked up for an objective, for a cause. And we said, basically he said, our God is a caring father who stirs up his zeal, his passion for the objective of seeing us set free for a, for a relationship with him, right? And then we, we, we named those movies that we as guys just love, those scenes like in Braveheart and Gladiator, where there's this passionate speech to get everybody so excited to go and literally lay down their lives and die for a cause. And what God says about himself in a testimony, he makes about himself a declaration he makes about himself. He said, listen, I will stir up zeal for myself, for all of you. It's what I do. And we ask the question, do first, I would say, I'd, I'd add a question, do you believe it? Because it's already true, and do you know it? I mean, we could literally land, I mean, if we just were sitting down having coffee conversation, this would be something we'd have to sit on for a second. I'm just going to sit on for a second. I got, I'm just going to sit on for a second because we need to. Do you know him that way? And do you believe it? Do you believe he's an initiator? He's a father who is speaking right now. A God who is impartial, not playing favorites. And, and a father who's zealous. I think that zeal part, a mighty warrior. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I have to confess that I have a hard time grasping it. 
And if I have a hard time grasping it, even though it, but it, but it's true, is that something stirring that's wrong with God or something that I'm missing myself? There has to be that revelation moment, that awakening moment and an awareness. And so, so let's just stop right there and say, do you believe it? And do you know it? A father who is an initiator, he is moving right now. He is stirring. Like even when we sing these songs, I'm going to push back a little bit on the theology of songs. When we talk about, hey, we want you to walk in the door, do we live in the belief that he's already in the door? He's already come. He's already moving. Yes, what we're saying in that is we want him to do even more. Right? We want an even deeper move of his presence, and so the song makes sense. But do we live in this thing, oh, my gosh, God's outside the door, and I've got to do something to get him to come inside? No, he's already come. He's already here. And we're already living in the moment of his presence. Of He's already initiating. When we live our lives, we're just in a response to what he's already doing. Do you see that? And here, do you see what I'm getting at? Is I think in, in certain church world, we live in this place. I think we have to do something to get God to move. We said last week, it's a gift of grace. He, that's, what we, that's what we kind of landed last week. said grace is receiving something we haven't earned. Grace is receiving something we haven't earned. He's already doing all of these things. He's already moving. We don't have to pray and ask for his presence to come. His presence is already here. And what we're longing for is when we say, God, come with your presence, what we're saying is, God, uh, open our eyes to the reality of what you've already done and what you're already doing. That's the gift of grace, receiving something we haven't earned, meaning we can't do anything to make God give us anything. We can't earn it. We can't purchase it. It's a gift of grace. It's a footing free. Remember we talked about my K5 blazer. Remember last week, my parents just gave it to me. It had a towing package. It was fantastic. Why? I didn't do anything to earn it. He gave it to me because he loved me. He gave it to me because of grace is giving us something we haven't earned. And so we talk about God moving. And we said last week, when we kind of ended, we said, now, in this gift of grace, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, was this reality that we can put ourselves in this place of saying, in our pride, saying, I don't need you. And God's saying, well, I'm still moving, I'm still pouring out. And you're saying, but I'm not receiving. I'm not putting myself in the posture or the position to receive what you're already pouring out. He said, but God can give grace to the humble. Why? Because they're, they're coming saying, I'm desperately needy for you. I can't do anything apart from you. I'm sitting here naked. The most powerful person in the world before God stands naked, desperate, and needy with nothing in their own strength to make anything good happen. But they don't know it. There's a pride in that. And God's saying, I'm already pouring it out, but you're not receiving it because you can't, because you're standing in a posture like this. I don't want to, I need it. I can do it on my own strength. And we live in that place, but Joshua recognized this need. He says, follow his presence. Remember Joshua 3, we looked at it. Joshua 3, 2 and 3. He says, follow his presence, because we've never been this way before. He's saying, listen, I don't care if you've been tracking since you were two months old, and you know exactly where to go and can read all the signs, and I don't care if you can read all the stars in heaven. Let me tell you something. You've never been this way before. You are desperately needy for his presence. And if you don't get behind him, you're going to wreck. 
It's a gift of grace, he's saying. Listen, it's a gift of grace. He's moving in front of you, and you've done absolutely nothing to earn it. But if you'll just get behind him and follow him, he will lead us because he's been this way before. How can he have been this way before? It's right now because he lives here, here, and here, and here all at the same time. The beginning and the end and the middle, right? It's the gift of grace. He wants to lead us in this place. He says, I want to pour out my grace. I want you to have an awakening moment of me being an initiator, a God who speaks of, of me being a father who is impartial, and I'm zealous for you. Believe and be awakened. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying to us. But in Isaiah 42 that we looked at, we see the Israelites themselves literally living in this, this posture, in this position, with their hands like this and unable to receive. Let's, let's read this. We read it last week of, of, chapter, of verse 20 of chapter 42 of Isaiah. Isaiah 42, starting in verse 20. I think we read this, a lot of this last week, but we're going to read it again. Verse 20 says this, talking to the Israelites. Basically, listen, if we were to put it in phrases today, he was basically talking to the church. We wouldn't use that term, but just kind of get an idea. The Israelites were the people of God, the people in a relationship with God, his chosen people who represent the church today. Verse 20 of chapter 42. You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. It continues by saying, so basically saying you're deaf and you're blind. You've chosen deafness and blindness. Verse 21, it's pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. So by grace, he's still doing this mighty works, right? Verse 22, but this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say send them back. Verse 23, which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to become to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways and they did not obey his law. So let's look at a few things that we see here. Number one, spiritual deafness and blindness were self-inflicted. Spiritual deafness and blindness, they were self-inflicted. God was moving. He was speaking out of his out of grace. But because of their posture in life, the direction that they were looking, the way of life they were focusing on, they could neither see him nor hear him. I love my daughter Sarah. She is fantastic. She's great and perfect in so many ways. But one of the aggravating things about her is that she just seemingly sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes won't do what we ask her to do. Or she gets lazy and wants me to do it for her. Case in point, one day, this is not that long ago, about a month ago, we're in a hurry to leave. I said, listen, Sarah, I need you to get your shoes on. I've got, we got, I'll leave in five minutes. I'm not quite ready yet. So go find your, she was basically dressed. Just find your shoes. She's like, okay, daddy. And so I go in, I get dressed, I come running out, and she's standing in the kitchen doing this. With no shoes on. And I look at her and said, Sarah, where are your shoes? I can't find them, Daddy. I said, where did you look? I looked everywhere. Right? I said, you looked everywhere. Really? And I said, <clears throat> and then here's the funny thing. I look at her. Right? I look at her. She's right here. Right where Bill is. And I, it's like, I look right here where Danny is. And, and there, her, there are her shoes. Literally three feet behind her. Right? And I look at her and said, so Sarah, you, you looked everywhere. She said, yes, Daddy. I said, have you looked right behind you? There they are, Daddy. You're so good at this, right? And I sit there and I think to myself, <clears throat> and she's in this moment. 
She, I've told her to look. She has the ability to look. I've given her the ability to look. And she's sitting there looking like this. She can't find anything. She's getting frustrated. And three feet behind her are the very shoes that she's looking for. Because what had happened in the moment, she had not put herself in a position or a posture to simply turn around, look on the ground, and find them. What I would say to us today is the grace of God is always three feet behind us. If we would simply put ourselves in a position and a posture to receive the very thing that's already being poured out the grace of god is being poured out and it's simply us putting ourselves in a position in the posture to go like this and turn around you know what i'm saying in this position and posture of humility saying grace 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 but instead we do this and look like this and don't find anything because we're not in a position or a posture to receive that which is already being poured out. Number two, spiritual deafness and blindness, they are sin. Verse 24, spiritual deafness and blindness are sin. Verse 24, who handed Jacob over to become loot? In Israel to the plunderers, was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways, they did not obey his law. Growing up, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I, I was pretty much notorious for hearing my parents and then completely ignoring them, right? I don't know if that's like you, right? I'm sure you weren't like that. But I'll never forget one time, I'm literally in a place where my, my mom, we're at the lake, and she's, my, my buddy's with me, Charlie, and Charlie says, hey, let's swim under these boat docks over here. My mom hears, she goes, no, if you swim under the boat docks, you will die. I mean, very dramatic. And then she gives me all, like five ways that I could die under a boat dock. Well, fishing line could get wrapped around your foot and keep you from swimming, and you would die. Or you get underneath there, you run out of breath, and you would die, right? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, seriously. And so we're just like having this death moment together, right? And so, so finally she leaves. She goes up to the house, and, and Charlie, of course, goes, you ready to swim under the dock? I'm like, yes, let's go, right? And so Charlie takes off first, right? He takes off with his – we have our masks on and our fins. We can swim fast, right? So he takes off, gets to the other side. He's like, I made it. And I'm like, fantastic, here I come. But as soon as I put my head under the water, I hear my mom say, you're going to die, right? And like at halfway under, literally, and all of a sudden I go, ah, and I panic because I hear my mom's voice. You're about to die, you're about to die, you're about to die. I'm like, oh, my gosh, right? And so I'm like, ah. And so I do what, I do the smart thing. You, go, you always swim towards the deepest water, right? Deepest water, safest place. And so I start swimming towards the deepest water where I can see sunlight at the end of the boat dock. And so I'm swimming, swimming, swimming. I look up last second, and literally right here in the second row, there is a bar Five feet in the water, I did not know was there. And last second, I go like this, I duck, and it hits me right here and creates a massive gash, right? And it hits me so hard, it stuns me. And I, all of a sudden, I just look up, and I start sinking. And I, th- I hear my mom's voice, you're about to die! <laughs> right? I'm like, great, my mom's right. And also, and I just kind of imbi- shake myself out of it, and I kick my fins up, and I take a... <gasps> Take a deep breath at the surface. Now, you see, in the moment here, <clears throat> my, my deafness to my mom's call literally, literally was sin. It was disobedience. And in the moment, my mom's voice was telling me what to do because she knew it produced life. And right, so when I got up to the house, what'd she do? I told you so, right? She did the whole, t- I told you so, right? But in the moment, here we are, and I'm hearing this voice, spiritual deafness and blindness, they are sin. If I hadn't, literally, and to the point number three is this, spiritual deafness and blindness, they lead us to spiritual imprisonment. They lead us to spiritual imprisonment. Verse 22 said, but this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or, hit, or hidden away in prison. My mom sits there and says, don't swim under the dock. 
because you could die. I'm like, whatever. I put myself in this posture. I don't need your wisdom, all right? You're being overly dramatic. You're being a mom. I get under there, and what happens? I, I literally panic. She was right. And in that moment, I literally could have died. I mean, literally, by God's grace, if I had not done this with my head and ducked, I would have hit it right here head on. I mean, I was, I was, I mean, I was, I was screaming. I mean, it's like I had this massive gash opened all the way up. It stunned me. I mean, it was just amazing how hard I hit that thing. But by God's grace, obviously it didn't happen. But the point is, here I am in this moment. <clears throat> if I had hit it wrong, I literally could have died. And the idea is this. In Isaiah, the imagery is of those who are walking in sin, disobedient to God. And what happens is if the picture is someone who comes into your house, steals everything that you have, he plunders and he loots, he steals everything that you have, and then he takes you, kidnaps you, and then digs a big hole and throws you in so you can't get out or throws you in a dungeon or a prison so that you can never break out. This is the power of sin. This is what he's saying. This is what sin does in the life of those who are walking in a posture of spiritual deafness and blindness who are not able to receive the grace that's being poured out by God already. He's already speaking. He's already pouring out grace, but you're in this posture and position. And all of a sudden, we're like, what do we do? But then Paul comes along in Romans chapter 6, and he shares good news. Let's read this together because this is good news for us. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 12, going to verse 14. says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. And do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. What he's saying, and Paul is saying, listen, you've been given life. Life has been poured out, and it is an option for you. It is the primary option. It is available. Grace has been poured out, and you can embrace it. But if you want, I mean, yeah, you can make a choice, and you can fall into sin. You can give yourself to a life of sin, but you don't have to. Verse 14, he says, for sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. He's saying grace has already been poured out. It's a gift you haven't earned, but it's already been poured out. You couldn't do anything to purchase it. It's already there. Sin no longer has to be your master. It's already present there. You don't have to be deaf and blind. All you have to do, empowered by Jesus who has come into your life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and say, I can't, God, I can't, I can't conquer sin in my own strength. It's overwhelming. He says, fantastic, I've given you a choice. How, God? Because without earning it, I've poured out my grace, my Holy Spirit, to empower you to be victorious over sin and now to live a life of righteousness, standing in right standing with God because of the work of Jesus in your life as a gift of grace. We don't have to live in deafness and blindness anymore. His grace has been poured out. Sin no longer has to be our master. The idea is we're living life. Grace is being poured out. It's three feet behind us. And he's simply saying, embrace humility. That you, in your own strength, you can't conquer sin. In your own strength, you can't do anything great. By God's grace, which is being poured out already, if you'll put yourself in this posture of humility, it'll be poured out into your life, and then you can be victorious. And you can live a life making a difference. You can live, but it's not anything that you can do. The only responsibility you have is simply coming and saying, I have absolutely nothing in my humility. 
in brokenness and a posture saying, I need you. Maybe remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. The wee little man was he, whatever that song goes, right? Zacchaeus is sitting there living his life. He's doing his thing. He's completely opposed to God. He's stealing from every one of God's people. He is, uh, he's doing all this terrible stuff. And all of a sudden, but he hears about this guy, Jesus, and he's interested in the guy, Jesus. And so he says, he hears, Jesus is coming to your town. Jesus is coming to your town. Coming to your town, it says he runs ahead of the group, this procession that's coming, and he climbs up a sycamore tree and he puts himself in this position so that he can see and hear because Zacchaeus was short. And so all of a sudden, he runs on ahead of the group. This was his, him initiating this action. He runs on ahead, and he gets there, and he puts himself in a position for Jesus coming. Listen, Jesus still didn't have to do anything in his life. Jesus still didn't have to recognize him because Zacchaeus, he's not a nice man. But Jesus looks up, and because of grace, pouring something out to Zacchaeus that Zacchaeus has definitely not earned, Zach, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house today. And Zacchaeus and Jesus go into his house, and guess what happens? Grace is poured out, and Zacchaeus' life is changed immediately because the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus moves in Zacchaeus, and he says, ah, he puts himself in this posture of receiving, and all of a sudden it says he paid back everything he had ever taken, plus interest in his salvation came to his house that day. Guess what Zacchaeus did to make that happen? Absolutely nothing except putting himself in the posture to receive from Jesus. Do you see that? He did nothing. He didn't earn it. He just put himself in a posture saying, oh, there he is. I need that. Hey, I don't even know what I need, but I know I need something. And maybe Jesus is it. And he was. Putting ourselves in this position and this posture. Joshua understood that, hey, when the presence of God comes, you need to get behind it because we're desperate. We're desperate for him. We're needy. Put yourself in that posture to follow him. We've been talking about 2010 ending, 2011 coming, and I'm saying to us today, if we're going to live this life in this new beginning and we're going to get behind his presence, then we have to put ourselves in a posture to not just to, to be in relationship with the one through whom life-changing grace flows, right? Hit grace comes from him through through him to us. And we have to put ourselves in that posture, in a position, doing like this, living our lives. I can't see him. I don't know what's going on. I'm so frustrated. I don't know. I'm asking for all this stuff. And he's saying, grace is right behind you. You can't make it happen. You've got to get, the flow is already there. Just, you've got to get yourself into that river where his presence is flowing. Right? We have to get ourselves every day. Dallas Willard talks of it this way. He says, we can, we can through faith and grace, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Become like Christ by practicing the type of activities he engaged in, by arranging our whole lives on the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of his Father. Listen, there are things that in Scripture we talk about. We see Jesus. And what does he do? He, he's praying. He's reading it. He's, he's, reading the, he's reading the Old Testament, right? He's reading. He's spending time fasting. He's spending time in worship. And he doesn't do that so he can make God happy. He doesn't do it to make himself feel better. It ju- he just knows this is how I cultivate a relationship. Prayer, it's just open communication with the Father. 
Bible, reading my Bible and meditating on the Bible, all that is is the words of God. He's not doing it so he can check it off and say, well, I have my quiet time today. Boom. I've marked it off, and now I can get from God. I've earned, I've earned my stripes so I can get something from God. No, he's saying this is simply the way that you cultivate a relationship. So what I would say to us today of putting ourselves in a position and a posture of receiving from him, the first thing we have to do is enter into a relationship with Jesus. That's where grace is first poured out. If God is stirring in you this morning and you don't know him, say, I'm not in a relationship with him. I've never entered into a relationship with something that's stirring inside of me like it was in Zacchaeus. There's just this burning inside of me I can't name, I don't understand. But you name the name Jesus and something just does this inside of me. And I want to say to you, this is the morning. This is the morning. You're simply responding to the grace he's already poured out. He's saying, I am God, I am real, and if you would simply know me, if you would enter in, if you'd step into what I'm already pouring out. Salvation would come to your house. That's where it begins. Number two, if you have been in a relationship with the Father, with Jesus your entire life, but you're walking in your life and you have your, and nothing's happening, there isn't this breakthrough you've been looking for, I would say is this, then you're probably doing this. You're probably doing this, trying to make it all happen in your own strength. And you're not getting naked and vulnerable before God saying, I have nothing I have nothing, and you still, you may, even pray, you may even pray it because you're supposed to, but you don't flesh it out by how you actually live your daily life. And he's saying, naked before him, put yourself in a posture and a position that, my, that all of a sudden, boom, and then grace is automatically poured out. This is the promise. Listen, my grace is already being poured out. Put yourself in a position and a posture of nakedness and humility. God, I can't, I can't move in the proud because they're like this and they just do their own thing, right? Americans are the most prideful people in the history of all time. They can make it happen. They can make enough money to make it happen, right? They can network with enough people to make it happen. They can do all this stuff. And God's saying, no, you come before me. And recognize that everything you have been given to you, you didn't even earn it in the first place. And I am God. Sit before me naked with nothing to offer me because you have nothing to offer me. You can't love me enough to make me move. I move because I move. It's who I am, not because of who you are. And we stand before him. We go, and what we should say is that's the most freeing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That I can't make you move because it makes me stop trying to work so hard for you. That, my friends, is the good news of Jesus, that you can't make it happen. And we go, oh, man, that's awesome. I'm just naked all day long. I'll become even more undignified than this, David says. He ran naked before the presence of God. All right. We're done. Let's pray.